God's Word, turn over to the Old Testament. Uh, Note, we're not going to be in 2 Timothy today. It's the last Sunday of the month. And so I want you to turn over to the Old Testament, turn over to the book of Psalms, probably one of the larger books that you'll find there. Uh, Turn over to the book of Psalms and turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. As you turn there this morning, I want to remind you as we look into the book of Psalms that we see... um, we see the church's original hymn book. It was songs of songs of praise, songs of worship. And so this morning, as we turn our attention to Psalm 19, um, I want you to see that this is an invitation to worship. An invitation to worship. So look with me, um, Psalm 19, you'll find these similar words. Inscription in my Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect. To the choir master, a psalm of David. So as we read that inscription under the psalm, that basically just tells us that's written to Louise, that's written to Cindy, that's written to Miss Betsy, whoever is leading worship, saying, listen, to to the worship leader. And this is a psalm of David. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It is rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired they are, are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and the innocent of great, an innocent of great transgression. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as we've opened your word this morning, will you open our hearts, will you open our minds like you did Lydia there as the church was beginning in the book of Acts. Lord, you opened Lydia's heart to receive the word from Paul. Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts and minds of these, your people, that they may hear a word that they can apply to their lives today. Be reminded of who you are, how great you are, and how much you want to have a relationship with them. Lord, we pray as we read and we we unpack, we preach and teach your word, 
Lord, we pray that you would receive all the glory and all the honor for all that's said and done. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So can we know God? There are some people today who believe we can't. They're agnostics. I know an agnostic humanist. They believe that you can't know God and that they put more emphasis and everything is on us, that human piece of us, that we are responsible. But friends, I'm here to tell you this morning as we begin and we look at verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I don't know about you, but you can't go outside most any given day, especially in the morning or in the evening, and not look up and not see the handiwork of God. Even last night as we were coming back into town and we were driving on the bypass, I looked up and it was beautiful. We saw the sun. We were on 76 to start with and the sun was setting right there at the end of the roadway and it was such a beautiful thing. And so what did I try to do? I tried to take a picture. So I rolled the window down and stuck my phone out, you know, and I wouldn't advise that to everybody else, but you know, distracted drivers are one thing, distracted photographer drivers are another. But anyway, Chan and I were together and he commented about how pretty it was. And, and, and we talked about how, you know, I've taken pictures. He said, well, you can take pictures of the sun? I'm like, yeah, you, you take scenes. You take pretty pictures of the sun. You don't, you know, zoom in right on the sun, but you can take sunset photos. Also, I think about even this week as, as I scrolled through Facebook, you know, they used to say the early worm gets the, um, the early bird gets the worm. Right? Well, for me, I missed the sun, I missed the sunrise and the beautiful double rainbow that we had. Everybody was posting about it. Well, I like my sleep. And so I wasn't outside, but they were. But I still got to see it. So again, as we think about that this morning, the first thing I want you to see in this first section, these first six verses, is that we're gonna see that David is pointing us towards God's works. He's pointing us towards God's creation. And so as he opens this psalm, he's saying, hey, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. As we think about these verses, um, look with me in verse 5. We see that this, um, this verse here says, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber like a strong man runs its course with joy. And so this first image that David gives us is one of glory. You know, you think about the groom coming out of his chamber. The groom was richly attired and there is that joy. And then we see that he says that it's, uh, it speaks of God's love and his anticipation. While the second, um, picture image that we see here speaks of the strong man who runs its course. That is the power and determination that we have when we look to the Lord. And look there, he says he runs his course with joy. He runs his course with joy. So for us to come this morning and to say that the universe happened by chance is absurd. Because its design, its intricacy, its orderliness points to a purposely, a purposely, a personal involved creator. You know, think back about the illustration a lot of people used to use was a watchmaker. The watch has a watchmaker. 
and it's intricate in its design and its functions and its feature and everything works together. And when it does, it helps us tell time and it works like it's supposed to. And so just like with God's creation, we can't look up and not see that there's not a God. Amen? Creation is a wordless book that everyone can read because it needs no translation. You know, I think about my, um, I call them friends, but it's a friend of a friend, really. Um, Jesse and Daniel Fox, they serve in a ministry called uh, Signs of Love. Right now, they're not on the mission field because, as you know, we need to be praying for those missionaries who are stateside who, either because of their visas or other reasons, aren't allowed to go into the mission field. But when pre-COVID, Jesse and Daniel go into communities in, I think it's uh, in Africa, they go into these communities and they teach children sign language. People who are deaf, they teach them sign language. And through teaching them sign language, they're teaching them what a way that they can better communicate. But through that, they're also teaching them the love of Jesus. Amen? That they are loved by their creator. You see, a takeaway from this portion of scripture that we're looking at this morning is this. Warren Wiersbe reminds us, he says, despite the universal message that pours out day and night to the entire world, most people ignore it and reject God because they want to live as they please. And he referenced Romans 1, which we will talk about more in just a few moments. You see, people are lost because God speaks to them and all day long they refuse to listen. Sometimes they refuse to listen. Sometimes I would submit to you this morning that it is because of distractions in their lives. I'm reading a book right now about leading in a world full of distractions. You know, we have all this technology. We have all these great things that supposedly exist, but there has been no other time in the history of mankind that we've been so distracted. You know, I've I've heard preachers um, talk about this. You know, I have on an Apple Watch. I wear an Apple Watch, which is connected to my phone. And so one time when he got up and got ready to preach, he's in the middle of preaching and his um, his watch went off. And so then people realized that his watch was going off, so everybody started texting him. You think that's a distraction? Yes. So there are distractions. We have to pull back from those distractions. And so one of the things is I tell people, and I even told the, the gentleman that called me last night about losing his job, I share with him Psalm 121. One and two. Lift my eyes into the hills. Where's my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and earth. And I said, listen, keep looking up. I said, for somebody who's been in your same situation, you know, don't say that if you haven't. Amen? Don't say that you can identify with somebody who's lost their job. I went through that about a year ago. So I told him, I said, listen, I'm speaking from personal experience. I just want to remind you, if you'll keep looking up, if you'll keep seeking um, godly wisdom, if you'll keep praying, if you'll keep seeking the heart and mind of God, that in a year's time or however long, you're going to look back and you're going to be in a better place and you're going to see how God moved. And so what does that attribute to? I attribute that to God who says in his word, he says he's comforted us so that we may comfort others. So when that guy reached out, he maybe knew part of my story. I think he was actually looking for a job at Chick-fil-A. And so that's okay. But that gave me an opportunity to remind him and point him back to our heavenly father. And so the question that we kind of need to ask as we think about this, people don't, people aren't listening because they refuse to listen or because they are distracted. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing to get God's message to these people? 
Because God is your vessel. Salvation didn't come for you, come to you for it to be a means to an end, but you, it was a beginning. And as I heard this week at Miss, um, Phil Ski's funeral, you know, if God saved you and it was for you to go to heaven, then why come when he saves you, doesn't he just call you straight on to heaven? Because you have a purpose in his creation, in his master plan. He saved you so that he can use you. He saved you so that you can be a vessel of hope and encouragement so that you can walk into those situations. Just like we've had here in this church where we've got widows who are leaning into other widows. Why? Because they identify and they know that pain. They know what they're feeling. And they can say, look, this verse has encouraged me. Look, this book has encouraged me. Look, I just want to call and check on you because people called and checked on me and it was meaningful to me. How are you doing? How are you really doing? That's what it means to be a part of a body of believers is to be a part of that and to love and to encourage and to check on one another. Meaningfully, it makes a difference. And so I thought about this when I read that question. How or what are you doing to get God's message to these people? And I thought about us because we have to think, I have to think first about myself, but also as I'm preaching, teaching, I have to think about you and I think about you often. And I thought about, have you not heard? And do you not know? You know, there's some that say today, well, the church just is going to dwindle away and, and God's going to save who's he's going to save. No, that doesn't mean that we get a pass and we just get to sit back and put it on cruise control. But have you not heard? Do you not know? Well, that, so I was like, okay, that's in scripture, right? It is. And it's on Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40. And he reminds us of this, starting in verse 28. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait upon, that wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up on the wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. What are you doing to get the gospel message before other people? You have to be intentional about it. You have to build relationships about it. You know one thing? I've been praying. There's some neighbors that live near us. And I grew up in a neighborhood where when somebody passed, you waved. You know, you just wave. I, even this little kid, uh, Mr. Melvin Holloman, would ride on by. And I'd just wave at him. He, he would wave back. This is how I grew up. That's how I was raised. Well, this one couple that lives near us, we wave at them. They'd be out at the mailbox, and I'd stick around outside hoping that I could maybe just wave or say, hey, how you doing? We've been there for almost two years. Recently, I started praying, Lord, just give us an opportunity to just connect with some of our neighbors that maybe we haven't connected with. Give us an opportunity. I want you to know that the other day, the lady came out of her house, and she motioned for Chan, and Chan said, no, I'm not interested. Well, Chan being Chan, he's a knucklehead like most teenagers are. And so he didn't really hear what she was saying. And so Kendall kind of got a part of the situation after she was done with talking to a friend who had pulled in our driveway. And she went and said, man, says, there's something I can help you with. And or, you know, what, what were you needing? And she told her and she said, listen, I have this golf cart pull along thing. 
I'm not using it anymore. I saw your son outside practicing. Would he like it? Would he like to have that? Okay, sure. So he, she gave it to him. And Kendall made him write a little thank you note or whatever to get back to her. They looked it up online. It cost $250, right? It's this little golf cart thing. You put your bag on and you push it around the course. We never met the people. But we started praying intentionally, Lord, give us opportunity. So we didn't go to them. They came to us. We've been there for two years, never talked to them, never waved at them, nothing. God's working, amen? We need to pray specifically. And so as we think this morning about verses 1 through 6, it's really, again, pointing us towards the works of God. And in these verses, we see his... And as we look to his works, as we look to his creation, as we look to the heavens, we see his power. We see his creativity, we see his love, and we see his care. So verse 7 kind of begins the next section of this. And it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Friends, if you want if you want to be revived in your life, you know, we sing, we talk about revival. We sing, Lord, revive us again. That comes from getting into God's word. David tells us this, the law, the instruction of the Lord is what? It's perfect and it's reviving the soul. King James Version says that it's converting the soul. Amen? It's the word of God that converts souls. It's not something that Chris Moore or any man that's going to stand behind this pulpit is ever going to say. It's the power and presence of God through the Holy Spirit and through the preaching and teaching of his words that people come to repentance and they come to salvation. If they come by any other means, they've come by trickery. They've come by someone talking them into that. And that's why, especially as we get towards the end of the service, sometimes people pack up, sometimes people move. That is a distraction. That's a time where people, you're getting to the end of that message, and God may be dealing with someone, and they need to deal with it, but they that distraction, something distracted them, or they put it off. And so I just encourage you, be still. Be still because at that time, that's an appropriate time where as we, as I prayed today, when we come to services like this, we have to receive God's word with an open heart and an open mind, but we also have to respond to it. Because as I told you time and time before, you know, the problem with the church today is many people sit in pews just like you're sitting in or padded chairs, just like most churches that we have today. They sit there and they sit, they soak and they sour. They're receiving something. But they're not responding. Now, what is a response? A response could be taking a next step towards Jesus, taking a step into asking for repentance from him, a step into asking someone to pray for you, into a small group, into being on a living a life of mission, cooking a meal for someone. There's so many things. I don't know what it is, and I don't know what God is speaking to you, but listen, receive his word, and then respond to it. You see, friends, to know, um, to know God's word is to know the mind of God. And it's interesting, as I mentioned Warren Wiersbe, he pointed out Romans that, that Paul mentions this particular psalm, but also he mentions it in Psalm, um, sorry, Psalm, he mentions it in Romans chapter one. So I want to invite you to turn over to the New Testament for a moment. And I want you to look with me at Romans chapter one. Verses 19 and 20. I'm going to read starting in verse 18, but they denoted that Paul's kind of mentioning this here, this psalm here in 19 and 20. So listen, this falls under the heading of God's wrath for the unrighteous. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. 
And so we see here where under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who have by their unrighteousness, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Friends, not only are they without excuse, but can I remind you this morning, and I think I've got it written in my notes later, you are without excuse. Because when you sit week in and week out under the preaching and teaching of God's word and you do nothing, you don't move, that's called disobedience. It's not to what Chris is calling you to do, but what is God calling you to do? He's calling us to be obedient. He's calling us to respond to his word. But I would not be remiss. We cannot look at chapter 1 without continuing to read on. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Friends, we have a lot of people in America today. We have a lot of people in the world today that are worshiping the creature, the created, rather than the creator. Amen. But I'm not, I, I, you know, I hesitate sometimes, like, do you read too much? Where do you stop? Where do I go? But I, I wrote in my margin, I'll never forget, Pastor Jimmy, right after I got, right after I rededicated my life in 2010, he began preaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. And I'll never forget what he said about this, on, this next section. As I read this, I want you to think about it. You say, oh man, we live in a messed up world. We do. But in the margin of my Bible, I wrote, only by the grace, only by grace, only by the grace of God are you not these things. Because you, we need to remember that we are one decision away from being lumped into this category. But oh friends, there is redemption. We live in a council culture. Everything nowadays, if it's if it offends, cancel it. But that's not what the Bible says. As I taught you last week about God using broken people and people with messed up past, Paul, David, Rahab, Noah, Moses, all of them, they all had a past. Let's look past their past and look to who God has created them to be, who he intends for them to be. So for this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for this error. Verse 28. 
And since they did not, this this should be a sobering reminder to us this morning. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Friends, we live in a world, as I think about an old church sign that I saw one time, sin that used to hide on back streets now struts down Main Street. That's the world in which we live in because not only do they practice such things, but they give approval to those who practice them. But there is redemption. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Go and be the church. From my discipleship study Bible, uh, if you're interested in that, a fellow pastor friend of mine shared about that recently. I had wanted to look at it and buy it, and I was like, I don't need another Bible. But one of the things that he talked about that I appreciated is that it breaks it in as you're reading the Scripture. It talks about the different areas of uh what that scripture is talking about, whether it's salvation or it's the hope of Christ or whatever. And so it's been really helpful as I've studied, especially on studying a psalm like Psalm 19. And so from that particular Bible, listen to this. Human words, so as we think about the works and the words of God, human words cannot sufficiently praise God's word. But the best expression of praise is doing what the word teaches. It's obedience. Now, in today's culture, we also have what we call a mic drop moment, right? So, for example, we live in a world, I'm not going to do this, um, well, I won't do it far, but if someone's speaking and they said, he dropped the mic, it's kind of like they make a bold statement and then just, and walk away. That's called a mic drop moment, okay? So, Warren Wiersbe dropped the mic when he made this statement. The way we treat the Bible is the way we treat the Lord. So it isn't difficult to determine if we were rightly related to God. You think about that this morning. How we treat God's word is how we treat the Lord. I've been in churches where I've looked around. I'll never forget one time, one lady. We were in the New Testament. She had her Bible. She must have just done like this. She was over in 2 Samuel. She was falling asleep. She wasn't even where she was supposed to be. Now, I don't bring her out to ridicule her, but I bring her out to say, listen, it happens. Now, you might say, well, man, she worked a double shift and she was tired. Okay, well, praise God, she's getting a little rest. But now if she does that week in and week out, what does that say? Let's not make God's word boring, Amen. Let's not make it boring. It isn't boring. As you get into it and as you see things, there are all kinds of things that you that are practical even in 2020. So I want to ask you this morning this. Do we desire his word? Is it is it precious to us? Is it more precious to us than wealth? 
Do we find satisfaction in feeding on God's word? As I was, as I was reading and studying, it said this, do we attend church dinners, but not church Bible studies? There's nothing wrong with a social, amen? And if you go into my office, is one of the things we've identified as, as my hope and ambition is to, to see God work here at Bible Fellowship Church, is on my, on my office wall, there's entry points into the church, and one of those is a social. And y'all, some of y'all have done very well at going out and saying, hey, we got a singing in Sundays event, will you come? Because you know what the hardest thing to do is? Get somebody into the doors of the church. But when you get them here and they see, oh, this is a beautiful place. Oh, they were accepting to me. They were friendly to me. Then they know how to get here and they might come back. So a church social is not wrong, but when all you're interested in doing is coming and physically eating, are you feeding on God's word? And lastly, do we accept the warnings of his word and do we act upon them? And so I want to remind you this morning, as we look to this latter half of this particular psalm, I want you to see this. I want you to see that the works and words of God invite us to worship. And that, that's the purpose of the book of Psalms, is to worship, and to worship authentically, and to worship real, and, and, and being raw and real with our Savior. One note on verse 11 before we go to verse 12. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. There's no excuse. And keeping them, there is a great reward. I think about as Jim Johnson and Pastor Holly talked about and her grandson talked about. You know what? She lived a life honoring Christ, serving Christ, but her greatest reward is in heaven now. Because she's with Jesus. Amen? That is the great reward. And she's spending eternity with him. So can I remind you this morning that your reward is not earthly? As I think back on the businesses and things that my grandfather built over on North Main Street, as my family sold that, as my uncle sold that, and and a part of my identity was kind of taken from me because I grew up there, I saw those things built. I remember flying a kite in that field before any of those businesses were there. You know, I was proud of what our family had accomplished and the people that we had served. And I'll never forget as I stood there, there's an old sign as you would pull out and it says, Jesus loves you. And I took a picture of that sign. It's since been torn down, but it says, Jesus loves you. And in that moment, the Spirit of God spoke into my spirit and it said, Chris, this stuff was wood, hay, and stubble. It's only what's done for Christ that counts. Don't get caught up in earthly rewards. Don't get caught up in wood, hay, and stubble. But what are you accomplishing for Jesus? What are you doing with your faith? You see, friends, as we look at this last section, so we've seen that the works and the words of God invite us to praise Him. And then verses 12 through 14, we see, we see our walk. We, we see a look at our human heart. And we need to take a look at our daily experiences Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, from secret faults. 
Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then, friends, I tell you all the time that we should be praying God's word back to him. That's what he desires. We're to pray his word back to him. Verse 14 is a perfect example. If you've never prayed God's word back to him, here's a way to start. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock my redeemer. If you can't remember all that, just maybe remember, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Lord, if you want to boil it down, Lord, help what I say to be acceptable to you, pleasing to you. Pray his word back to him. So friends, this morning, do you want to know the greatness of God? Because this psalm, as we look at it, his works and his words are inviting us to worship. How do we worship? It's through that daily experience. It's through our walk. It's through our him, us experiencing him in our heart. So if you want to know the greatness of God, can I encourage you this morning, look up. Look to the heavens. Look to the sunsets. Can I remind you this morning to look around? Look at the beautiful creation. I want you to take a second right now and look at the person beside you or in front of you or behind you. Look around you. That person that you just looked at is a beautiful creation of God. Before they were formed, God knew them. And he created them. Just like he created you. And sometimes, by God, we get on each other's nerves. Amen? But God is teaching us patience. Perseverance. He's teaching us to love our enemy. To love those people that get on our nerves. To see Jesus in them. To see what God created them to be. Thank God that he didn't create us all the same. Amen? Because there's different things that we're called to do. And then we're to look within his word. We're to see. We're to hear his heart. We're to, we're to hear his love. And we're also to see his wrath. Friends, God reveals himself through his works. Through his words. And through willing people. This morning, I want you to think about your salvation experience. I want you to think about your own salvation experience. You see, because we talked about this morning, if we just look up, what what does verse 1 say? Verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. (laughs) They do. But that does not give us the ability to cancel the need for missions. Amen? Because we're to make disciples of all nations. We're to take the word to people. You see, friends, we must explain. We must live out his word so that others can have a relationship with him. And so I ask you very simply this morning, what are you doing to take God's message to the world? What are you doing to take God's message to your circle of influence? What are you doing to take God's message to your home? What are you doing to get God's message in your heart? Because friends, you can't give what you don't have. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just invite you this morning as we close. As we leave this place, I want you to think about your own salvation experience. 
The reason many of you are here this morning is because you were invited. You were invited to a service. Or maybe you just stumbled upon and you you went back to church after not being there like me. But then there was this message and, and the spirit began to work. And there was an invitation that was given that you knew that you you were trying to do it all on your own. And that you, you were hitting roadblocks and you were hitting things and you were just banging your head up against the wall. But then in that old message and in that opportunity, you were given an invitation to follow Jesus. To, to accept the finished work on Calvary. Because you see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He, he came to to share in our shame and suffering. He was spat on. He was rejected. He was despised. But despite all of that, he went to the cross because of you and because of me. And he took that shame. He took that suffering on so that you wouldn't have to. He can identify with what you're going through right now. Pain, suffering, shame. He knows it all. So as the old hymn goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face. And then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of glory and grace. Friends, I just simply invite you this morning to look to Jesus. Look up and see that his heavens declare his glory. Look around and see his creation that he has created. Look into his word and see who he has created you to be. And then step into that relationship with him. Maybe you aren't where you need to be with your relationship with Christ today. I invite you to take that step with him. I invite you, if you've never taken that step towards Jesus, and acknowledge that, Jesus, that you are my Savior. And without you, I am nothing. I am destined for hell. That is what I deserve. Lord, I want to receive that gift of grace, that gift of mercy, that gift of salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Through Jesus who was raised from the dead, conquered death for me. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I invite you to pray. I'm going to invite Miss Betsy, if she will, just to play for just a moment. And may we just do business with God. We received his word. Now will you respond to it? Lord, I just pray that, as I know you did for Lydia, Lord, that you opened her heart to receive the word that you would send through your messengers, that you'd send through Paul. Father, I pray this morning that your word has been received. Help us to meditate on it. Help us to wrestle with what you're calling us to do. Lord, help us to accept that invitation for salvation, and that invitation into becoming who you desire us to be as we walk with you day by day. And Father, we pray now that you may God and direct us this week. Keep us safe. And Lord, as David reminds us, may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Father, we ask all these things in the mighty and precious name of your 
son Jesus. Amen.